The UK is an international hub of culture and enterprise. To the world, we brought the Queen, the Beatles, and the World Wide Web. And you'd be hard-pressed to find many around the globe who don't know where London is or what goes on there. Less well-known, however, are the towns of Blackhorton in Devon and Marshwood in Dorset. And lesser known still are the respective worm-charming and nettle-eating events that take place there. I'm Jack Claremont, and Anglophiles is set to change all that. A podcast that looks at the more curious side of British life, bringing to light the weird and wonderful goings-on that truly make it Great Britain. My parents didn't grow up in the UK, but I did, on the outskirts of South London. And since I was a probably quite annoying, yet very inquisitive child, I've always adored just how bizarre life in Britain can be. Sure, we're at the forefront of technology, healthcare and social enterprise, but we're also still rooted in a history that spans hundreds, if not thousands, of years. It's always struck me that as a nation, we're keen not to forget the past. And sometimes that's problematic, but often it's a wonderful thing. From that worm charming event in Devon to the world-renowned cheese rolling in Gloucester, our communities ensure that the traditions of the past are still present in the future. In this series, I want to shine a light on these events and the communities that are keeping these traditions alive. I'm sat in the garden of the Tichborne Arms, which is a pub in the village of Tichborne in the south of England, about an hour outside of London, which is actually where my day started. This morning, got to Waterloo Station to get on a train to Winchester, went through the rolling countryside down to the really quaint city of Winchester, where I got a taxi through fields and hills and... The only thing windier than the the roads that we were going down was the actual streams that were following them. Now, it's March 25th, which is Lady Day, or the Feast of the Annunciation, which, historically, is when Gabriel, the angel, spoke to Mary and said that she was going to be having a baby boy. But here in the village of Tichborne, it's also really special for another reason, because it happens to be the day where the Tichborne doll is handed out. And that is why I'm here. I want to find out more about this story, to travel through the village, speaking to people that are here, people that are involved with the Tichborne doll, to understand more about the historical importance and the uniquely British idea behind the Tichborne doll. The story all centres around the village of Tichborne, in particular, the Tichborne family who have held the estate since the 12th century. Now, Britain in the 12th century was, as I'm quite sure you can imagine, almost inconceivably different from Britain today. In 1066, William the Conqueror came over from France and, well, you guessed it, conquered the place. The English economy was fundamentally agricultural, dependent on growing crops such as wheat, barley and oats, and husbanding sheep, cattle and pigs. Technology and science in England had advanced considerably during the Middle Ages, driven in part by Greek and Islamic thinking. This meant we had numbers, but it wasn't until the 13th century that we had the first clock. So you get the picture. It was dark. It was diseased. 
and for the most part, it was destitute. Unless you happened to be born into a wealthy family. The Tichborns were one such family. I am Patrick Roper, the local landlord. I've been here for around 11 years. I'm very familiar with the Tichborne Dole, having actually been the beneficiary on quite a number of occasions of the flower. And uh, it is an extraordinary thing because it has been going for so very, very long. So can you please tell me the story of the Tichborne Dole? It began back in the 12th century when the local lady of the manor, a member of the Tichborne family, was concerned about the local people starving. Uh, they were short of food. In 1188, the Marbella of the story was dying. My name is Denise, it was Denise Tichborne. She asked her husband, who was not the most philanthropic of people, if he would give out bread to the people of the village and the parish. As it was 1188, they were rather more pushed in those days than they are now. He refused, and she pleaded with him. She was very unwell, and he said very unreasonably that he would give them food that can be produced from any land that she would walk around carrying a flaming torch. Well, she was very ill, and she was, in fact, really on her deathbed, but she got out of bed and she walked around a 23-acre field, which to this day is known as the Crawls, and she part-walked and she part-crawled around this area, as a result of which she died shortly afterwards, and her husband was as good as his word, and thereafter, every Lady Day, March the 25th, in perpetuity, he gave out to the local parishioners uh, a gallon of flour for every adult, half a gallon for every child. I could leave my flat in East London and buy four gallons of flour pretty easily. And look, I am not one to boast. But a gallon of flour in the 1100s, now that is a big deal. Four gallons, now you're really talking. But it's the 21st century. Fast forward to March 25th, 2019. What does the modern Tichborne doll look like? So I left the pub and I followed the instructions of the landlord down the country lane, skipped the sign that says no trespassing. He says it's absolutely fine today. And down at the bottom of the drive is one of the most amazing manor houses I've ever seen. The grounds are absolutely beautiful. Lawns mowed to perfection. There's full fields of daffodils and this huge white house with Roman pillars at the front and also a massive... Versailles garden style planter, absolutely full to the brim, with flower. And there's some interesting people standing around, clearly lots of locals. There's some with bin bags, some with buckets, some with barrels. And there are two guys in white lab coats. I'm quite interested to see what their role is in the day. I can only assume it's something to do with the flower. Imagine the flower goes everywhere. I've just been handed a sheet of paper as well to help with the day, which has the blessing on it for the flower and the prayer for the soul of Lady Mabea Tichborn. In the name of the Father, our health is in the name of the Lord. O Lord, hear my prayer. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. 
the flour will now be distributed. Whilst the doll's being given out, there'll be a collection in aid of the British Heart Foundation. So starting with Titchbourne Parish, Ackroyd, two. Booth, two. Bowsfield Frenchbrook, two. Gray, one. Burston, one. Chataway, two. Chilston, two. In the doll's modern state, the Catholic parish priest comes out in full garb to bless the big trough of flour before it is handed or doled out. And after we'd all joined in with the blessings, another man came to the front to announce who was eligible for a big sack of the aforementioned flour. Only those families who live in Titchbourne, Cheriton and Lane End are entitled to the doll at a rate of one gallon per adult and half a gallon per child with a household maximum of four gallons. And that is a lot of cake. I've done the maths and it's about 40 Victoria sponges. It's interesting though, considering the residents are no longer living hand to mouth, that there doesn't really need to be such an accurate measurement of flour being handed out. Is there more to this story than simply tradition? Before she died, she set a curse on the family, saying that if ever this was not carried out, there would be a generation of seven sons followed by seven daughters, the house would fall down and the name would die out. And it did get stopped at one point and the whole thing came true. It started to happen. There was a fire and the old house burnt down. There's a small part of it left now, uh, but there's a new house they built on the front. And many of the male heirs died. So they rapidly uh, reinstated the doll, uh, which was probably rather a wise thing to do, however superstitious you are. And the family still live in the house. There's one surviving member of the Titchbourne family, Denise. Yeah, she's the last one. When, the, when she dies, they will put her in the family vault and seal it up forever, and that's about 11 or 1,200 years of Titchbourne dynasty gone. The eventual thing was that the name would die out, and I am, in fact, the last surviving Titchbourne. My father died in 1968, but he was the only son of an only son of an only son, so we don't actually have any male relations. But my divine nephew who died was married to Catherine. Um, his name was Anthony Loudon and he inherited it all when my sister died and was the most fantastic keeper of all of it. And Catherine continues the tradition. It's safe to say that for a small village, and I mean really small, we're talking a population of 167 as of the 2011 census, Titchbourne has sure had its fair share of drama and scandal. And quite frankly, I loved it. But walking around, I could feel the history. If only those rickety old walls could talk. And the drama doesn't stop there. As you heard, the Titchborn curse started to become true. And they did indeed have seven sons. And then seven daughters. The Titchborn family, and I'm making assumptions here, but I reckon the Titchborn family, they were pretty rocked by this. A centuries-old curse seemingly coming to life. It's the stuff of nightmares. Or low-budget horror films, at least. Well, that's when something even stranger happened. In the 1800s, of the two remaining Titchborne sons, the heirs and holders to the Titchborne name, one passed away and one went missing at sea. It really did seem like the curse was coming to fruition. Now, no one was quite sure what happened to Roger, the son who went missing at sea. 
but with the investigation providing no answers, the mother was always desperate for her son Roger Tichborne, heir to the family's titles and fortunes, to return. As you can imagine, there was much speculation around what had happened to her son. And rumours began to emerge that he had actually made his way to Australia. So she started advertising extensively in Australian newspapers, offering a reward for information. One of the sons who had died, who would have been the eldest and the one that was going to inherit the estate, and he was drowned at sea. Anyway, he came out of the woodwork and everyone thought he was dead, and he claimed to be the long-lost son. And the mother, believe it or not, actually believed that that was the case. So the case went to the High Court in London, and it went on for an entire year. And it was, at the time at any rate, the most expensive and the longest legal case in history. And this is because it, the estate in those days was absolutely huge. It stretched all the way from here to Southampton, I, I believe. And the claimant himself, who turned out to be a butcher from Wagga Wagga in Australia, financed his court fees by forming a public company, selling the shares to the public. The proceeds of that were what paid his lawyers. Well, he lost the case after a year. The jury found him to be an imposter, and of course, <laughs> Nowadays, DNA would have done it in about two minutes flat. But anyway, he lost the case and uh, he was immediately sent to jail for perjury as a result of that, uh, where I don't know if he died, but he sort of, you know, if he didn't die, he you know, went into obscurity at that point. My family has had its fair share of scandal and drama. There's an infamous game of Pictionary, Christmas 2011, that led to no one speaking again until December 28th. But even then, we've got nothing on the Titchborns. A curse? a claimant, and a crumbling manor house. How does one navigate a family history so rich and so tempestuous? And what does the doll mean for the Titchborns of today? It means a lunch and dishing this out. <laughs> I mean, we grew up with it, so, you know, we just take it for granted and it's rather a charming tradition and it's been going on for rather a long time. We try and make it a nice family event. I mean, normally my children are home school today, they're at school, um, so they have grown up with us. They've spent quite a lot of time in the flower trough, being children, <laughs> throwing it around. My name's Catherine Loudon, and I married Anthony Loudon, who is a direct descendant of Titchborne Line. The emphasis is on getting together beforehand. We have a nice family lunch. We make a bit of a fuss and, you know, we always we cook our traditional Titchborne pudding, which is like steamed pudding, and we just enjoy having a chat and the priest comes for lunch beforehand. I'm Father Mark Hogan. I'm the parish priest of St Peter and the Winchester Martyrs, uh, which is based in Winchester in the city centre but comes out as far as here and a bit further over towards Orsford and goes uh, the other direction out towards Stockbridge way. And my role here has been to come and bless the flower and to say some prayers and, and that's it. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do, yeah. So what are the blessings and the prayers that you say during the ceremony? The blessing, we're just asking the God to, to bless the flower as you can see there. Holy Lord, omnipotent Father, eternal God, deign to bless this flower with thy holy and spiritual blessing. And then that next bit, that it may prove to those who receive it a source of health, both of mind and body, and a safeguard against all its ills and all the snares of our enemy. So, so that's what we're asking. We're asking the flower to be blessed and those who receive it to have good health, physical health, spiritual health, and to be protected from all that's harmful to them, really. You're fairly new to this parish. Yes. And this, I imagine, this doesn't happen 
within most parishes across the country. There's not much flour to bless, I assume, perhaps wrongly. So is that something that's in, is it in the job spec? Or does it, you just get a reminder on your calendar, March 25th, you know, must go and bless the flour? I'm not aware of it taking place in any other parish. I'd be, I'd be intrigued if it does. It'd be, it'd be a fascinating thing to know. Um, I think it was flagged up when I, when I handed over. Oh, yes, you'll have to go and bless the flower for the Tichborne doll and I didn't know what that was and then I suppose uh, later on I got the sheet that you've got with the history and the, and the blessing on it and then I came here as I did today and um, a lot of it's just lived by the family really so the family know the traditions they know what I need to do and they just they just guided me through it and, and, uh, and looked after me. Going forward how will this event change? Will it change? I don't think it will change I think it would be sort of wrong for it to change I mean I suppose my children will take over um, now and they will maintain it. And, I mean, it is a Catholic tradition, but it's a bit more than that because, you know, a lot of the village are not Roman Catholics. It's a real mixture of us and it's, that's not the important thing. The important thing is, is the continuity of a, of a lovely, charming, quirky thing to do. Coming from New Zealand, yes. I don't know how many flower no. doling <laughs> traditions they have over no. there, but this no. seems, it seems like this is something that's like quite uniquely British, and I guess that's something to be really proud of for yes. the family. it is. Yes, it is something to be very proud of. And even as not a British person, I'm very proud to be involved in it. When you think that they've been here since the 12th century, and that's the thing that amazed me when I first came here to visit, having come from New Zealand, the mere concept that one family has got that much history is phenomenal because New Zealand is such a young new country. You don't get anything, yeah. you know, from that age ago. Ooh. And the fact that they've been sitting here on this one spot for all those years and they are called Titchbourne and were called Titchbourne up until his mother, you know, she was Anne Titchbourne. I find that mind-blowing. That, that depth of history. And I think the children love it. They were sad not to be here today, and long may it last. Well, it will last. We don't want the curse to come back. It's clear that the family are incredibly proud of this tradition and the money raised for charity in the process. I think it's amazing that the doll has been passed down by so many generations of family members, and it seems that it will continue into the next generations too. I wonder if Lady Marbella would have ever thought it would reach this point in history when she crawled around those infamous 23 acres. Thank you so much for joining me on my trip to Tichborne. Across the Anglophiles series, I will travel around the UK in a hope to uncover more of these traditions and the communities behind them to celebrate what's really great about Britain. <laughs>